I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with a chat about modern Southern California masterworks with architect Christopher Brandon. For six years, every interview you've heard on the show was recorded live. Since March 13th of this year, every new conversation you've heard has been recorded on the phone or via Zoom. This has completely changed the way I do this, and we've all changed the way we work. So as as Christopher and I talk about his business and how his business is changing, some interesting things came up. He He mentioned that he started his firm during the Great Recession, and I think that speaks to how Brandon established his firm and how he's worked with his employees to make sure they can work most effectively. That means changing everything about the way he does business, right? Doing the episodes this way has also provided me with an opportunity to discuss specific projects of his, and it's opened a new door for me, and, and I hope for you as well. Please make sure that you're following along as we look at these projects by visiting brandonarchitects.com as you listen, and we can explore design together. In this episode, Chris and I talk about some amazing ideas in design that include a skylight through the bottom of a swimming pool and an absolute masterpiece in the Strand Hotel. You're going to hear about incorporating VR and technology, progressive ways to make distance learning, sorry, distance working more effective and overcoming the challenges of working during a disaster. At the same time, this is a reminder that design is a service industry, a service industry that directly improves the quality of life of those we serve. Before we get into this, I, I want to share some thoughts with you. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about what makes Walker Zanger so special in a minute, but I also want you to know how they're responding during these trying times. I recently paid a visit to their West Hollywood showroom. When I walked in, staff was distanced. There was sanitizer available, and they were masked up. Seems like small things, but they were huge to me. They've also been inviting... Uh, designers to view drive-by slab showings and partnering up with yours truly on a virtual series called The Showroom. If you're a designer looking for great partners to work with, you can look no further than Walker Zanger and make sure you catch every episode of The Showroom on, uh, I'll be running those episodes here on Convo by Design. They continue to innovate. They made me feel comfortable going back to their showroom, and I know you, they will make you feel comfortable as well. Again, it may seem like a small thing, but it wasn't to me. We're back to a really fun conversation with architect Christopher Brandon. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger, a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But at the heart is a family-owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home and does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients. Walker Zanger started in 1952, and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have. Check out their newest collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan. 
a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. And they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of. Check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. Where are you now? You're in Orange County. Yeah, yeah, we're in Costa Mesa, kind of on the border of Newport Beach. Okay, how do you like it there? We love it. Do you? Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, we sort of, uh, you know, I started the business in the middle of the recession, so but my wife had a really good job working for Gala Wine Company. Yeah. Um, and her work took her up to L.A., and eventually I got busier again, but most of my work was kind of originally from Orange County. So we started to split the distance. We lived in uh, Sunset Beach for about two years. And then uh, when we started having kids, she, you know, she decided to work from home and just made more sense to kind of move all the way back to Orange County. Yeah, no, that's funny. And when you said Sunset Beach, I was thinking, oh, that's clearly before you had kids. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um very cool. I, I love that. So you started during the recession. You know, it's interesting, considering what everything that's going on now, I actually just kind of wanted to start by asking how you're doing, uh, how, the, how the business is doing, sure. knowing that you've, you know, you've seen economic change before, but yes. yeah. this, this, what's going on now is just really interesting. How are you guys doing? How's the business doing? What's your, what's your take on the state of you know, let's forget the country. Let's just talk about California right now, or even more specifically, Southern California now. Design, sure. architecture, the way we live after being locked down for you know three months, and now and now what's going on now? How are you guys doing? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. You know, it is uh, definitely some crazy, unprecedented times. You know, I think building the business in the last you know hard economic recession, I was sort of always had that in my rearview mirror. You know, like both my wife and I are involved in the business and we're just sort of when times are good, you're sort of looking over your shoulder wondering, you know, when the shoe's going to drop again or whatever. But, uh, I don't think any of us saw a uh, pandemic coming, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, kind of forced government shutdowns and things like that. It was really scary. You know, the first, first couple of weeks for sure. Um, they sort of made, uh, hesitating, I guess, or faltering steps here in Orange County, like they did in many, many parts of the state and the country, so it was sort of like you just kept getting hit with more and more news every day. Um, but we put into place um, an infrastructure so that we could uh, work from home, which we eventually ended up doing. I sent uh, most of like about 90% of my staff home. Um, and we're lucky that we've got a, we own our own little condo building here in a business park. So we were able to, I was still kind of coming to the office and just, you know, managing the critical stuff. And uh, I just had a couple other guys here with me, but uh, we had the, you know, the IT stuff in place to work remotely and it kind of went off without a hitch. You know, it was, it was nice. Everybody just, I think when they finally made the order, everybody just took their computers home with them that night and, uh, you know, plugged them in and it seemed to, uh, it seemed to work. So that was nice. Um, from our client side of things, you know, I just made it a point to call a lot of my clients, to call at least, you know, two or three a day, just check in with them, send a lot of emails to see how they were feeling. Um, obviously, we were concerned about projects being put on hold and all the uncertainty that was going on. 
but we came out really lucky there. I think I only had, you know, one or two projects kind of hit the pause button there, um, which was great. We had a, a pretty big backlog before everything hit. Um, so we were, we had plenty to do over that like month, month and a half. Um, but then I noticed in, in May that a lot of the inquiries started to pick up again. You know, April was pretty quiet. A lot of crickets. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's what's scary. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it was scary because you don't know, you know, obviously we, we were working through stuff, our backlog, but, uh, you're always, you got to keep feeding the machine, you know, you got to keep, keep signing new projects and uh, keep the pipeline going. You do, but, you uh, do, you do. And you know, here's what's yeah. interesting too. I did a, um, I did a, a short series on living through coronavirus and, and not the the disease per se, but the, you know, the lockdown that right. came, that came with it. And, you know, it's funny because it, you said, you know, it's, we never thought in a million years that we'd be going, you know, living with a pandemic, you know, this is not new. Um, it happens all yeah. the, it happens all the time. The Ebola crisis, SARS, MERS, AIDS. Right. You know, I yeah. mean, this is not something that's new. I remember just, the uh, what was it? The swine flu. I even had friends that got it. You know. Yeah, and and but, av- avian yeah. flu. So this is not new. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it doesn't. It doesn't. It hasn't really affect. It's never affected us like this since 1918, right? Right. Yeah. So what I've what I've really noticed in all the conversations that I've had, and th- which is why I did the the short series on it, our homes were not designed to live twenty four seven. Yeah. To be right. ho- home, school, daycare, no. office. Yeah. Re- not in our modern American society, you know. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. No. Especially I- a lot of dual dual incomes. So. You know, pay for the high cost of living here in California. Absolutely. Which is which is why you know, especially getting ready for our conversation, and you know, I'm I'm familiar with with your work, but I really kind of wanted to go a little bit more in depth in some of the things mm-hmm. that I that I find really unique and interesting about the way that you do business, um, and the way that you that you approach your craft. But it's really interesting because, you know, the the day I I don't want to say the days of doing this are over, but I feel like there has to be, and I'm curious as far as your input on this, there seems like much more thought has to go into understanding space, um, understanding the use of space, how you're going Mm -hmm. to, how you're going to use it, not for what you're doing today, but for how you may be living in five years, 10 years, 50 years in case of an emergency, you know, has that changed the way that you view what you do? Yeah, a hundred percent, you know, and, um, it wasn't a sea change like we normally deal with in our industry, you know, where certain elements or certain aspects of our home living become, you know, gradually more popular. Uh, it was pretty much overnight. People were having to hunker down and and make it work, you know, try to find space for home office or to to set up a desk and, you know, and also to deal, to deal with the kids, you know, um, and try and do remote learning and all that kind of stuff too. And, and also the fitness side of things too. Um, you know, nobody's able to go to the gym. So people were just desperate to find some place to work out in the home. You know, I think, uh, me, myself, I tried uh, desperately just to find one pair of 30 pound dumbbells. And I just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. 
I was, I was like, I'll pay any price, you know. Was, uh... Do you know what's, Chris, you know what's really interesting about that comment is you're, you're really, you're 100% right. It's, it's so funny you said that because I've heard that's been like a common theme. And I, and I want to yeah. ask, I want to ask about, you know, making space in the home. But like for, for my family, I, by the way, I, I don't think I've been in this good a shape in 10 or 15 years. Um, we, we've got the, we've got the, we've got the prison yard gym. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing matches. I call it too. Yeah. 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 Nothing matches. It was clearly, it was, it it was put together so haphazardly, but it was interesting because supply chain weights, that was a problem. Yeah. 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 And I think, uh, we were lucky enough to get a Peloton there in the, in the early weeks. It was something my wife put into action, which was great. Nice. Um, Yeah. But yeah, and I obviously had a lot of clients uh, at projects with, at various stages, you know, calling to say, "Hey, let's uh, let's let's make sure we get room for a gym, or you know, what can we do to move some things around?" Um, home offices have been kind of popular, but I don't think I'm, you know, before the pandemic, it was just sort of a convenience yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. You know, now people are really looking at it like, "Well, gosh, do I?" Yeah, I need to be able to shut a door. I need to be able to, you know, be away from the kids or, you know, conduct some more serious business, you know, in like a nine to five kind of environment out of my home. Yeah. Um, is there anything that that you have been asked for that maybe you haven't really been asked for in the past in, in light of what's been happening? Um, that's an interesting question. You know, I... There was uh, definitely an uptick in sort of, you know, safe rooms and things like that, um, you know, but we've, we've kind of had, you know, concepts of that or ideas of that come up in the past, too. You know, a lot of the homes we do in Orange County are, are not that large, you know, in Corona de Mar specifically, uh, most of the homes are around 2,900 square feet. That's sort of like a typical lot. Um, and I like to say that they're, they're little jewel boxes, you know, you try and cram as much as you can into that, uh, 2,900 square feet, you know, <laughs> right. uh, yeah. but it, it, it goes pretty quick. Um, so you have to kind of be efficient and creative. We do a lot of, you know, bonus rooms and sort of third floor offices and things that are sort of interchangeable. So there's maybe an office with a Murphy bed that folds down or something. Um, so I think it's just, there was just a lot more thinking about that, you know, and specifically, it really kind of came down to like the fitness and the office component. Yeah. And so speaking of that, which is you're, you're taking me right where I wanted to go. So I appreciate that. Thank you. I wanted to talk to you sort of about your, your process, right? And your process. Now, let me, let me just say this. I've spoken to so many architects and designers that Mm -hmm. many of the words are interchangeable. It's kind of like, to me, it's kind of like talking to an artist. And you, right. can, you can talk to an artist about paints and brushes and canvas and surfaces, <laughs> right? Right. But each one mm-hmm. uses them completely differently. And I'm just, I'm fascinated by that. So what I wanted to actually, what I wanted to start with you, because a lot of your work, and I wanted to go into some of this stuff, but um, a lot of sure. your work, it's, it starts with, with understanding the the site right it's about it's about space and scale and scope so the way the way that you do it when did that start when did you know that this is what you wanted to do and that this is how you wanted to do it um 
pretty early on, honestly, when I, you know, when I sort of hung my own shingle and went out uh, in 2009, um, my past experience had been sort of localized here in Corona del Mar in, in Orange County. So I'd had uh, exposure and experience working on a lot of these smaller lots, smaller homes. And so I just, um, it was sort of, I guess, ingrained in me to not be wasteful with design. But I always felt like the service side of what we do is so important, right? Like I, I, my favorite part of the job is uh, meeting my clients, getting to know them and, you know, and every, every day is different. You know, I don't, uh, I don't design the same home because I don't have the same clients um, day in and day out. And that that's, you know, I guess you could call it more of a populist approach to uh, the design in that we really try to listen to our clients and, and let them give us a kernel of inspiration for, you know, how the house is going to come about. Um, I kind of like to say there's, there exists a perfect house for these clients when they come to us, right? Like let's say they just bought a piece of property and they've got an idea of what they want to do and sort of a laundry list of things they want to put on there. And so you can conceptualize kind of like a perfect program or perfect house for them. And they've probably got some idea what it's going to look like too. And then the site um, is sort of a perfect house for the site too. If you were to just sit down, you know, without a client, which we do sometimes for speculative projects, but just design the perfect house for that lot, what would that look like? And you kind of have to just smash the two together. Um, <laughs> but to go, to go back to your point, I think that we, we enjoy letting the clients uh, come along for that ride and really help kind of write the write the script or write the story, you know, for each project rather than just immediately sort of diving diving into what's perfect for the for the lot. So I'm going to get all my stupid questions out of the way at the at the beginning here, um, <laughs> because uh-huh. I, I'm I'm always curious about this. You're in looking at your work, your your des- your your style and design is very specific. And what's interesting about architects, as opposed to designers, in many cases, is style and the work itself. In many cases, with architects, starts with the client, because you know the it, the the architecture itself is where the client sort of starts. It's a it's a less refined view of how a space is created and how it works how do what do you do to find what the clients really want versus what they tell you you know instead of showing you 300 pinterest images or <laughs> right. you know 300 images yeah. on instagram how do yeah. how do you get to the point of understanding once you've got the site what your clients actually want yeah uh that's a that's another great point another great question it's because you know everybody speaks a different language too um and sometimes uh, when they come to you and they try to verbalize what they want, uh, they're actually saying something completely the opposite. It, you know, it happens sometimes. <laughs> um, and you're right. It's just uh, sometimes we think about these homes and designs when the clients first uh, start to conceptualize. It's sort of like the house that Instagram built, right? Like they have kind of a folder or, a, you know, some kind of a library put together for every room in the house and it's got all these different images and if you were to just take a collage or kind of a cross-section of uh, all these things uh, nothing really sort of points in the same direction so it's you know it's about using our core sort of you know principles and ideas that we have as, as designers right being you know trained in the craft and everything and, and really you know informing the client what's appropriate 
for the site and for the design. And sometimes that means, you know, paring down their wish list, which, um, you know, they might want a 3,000 square foot home, but then they sit down and they describe like a 6,000 square foot house with all the things <laughs> they want to put into <laughs> right. it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which happens a lot. So sometimes those conversations can happen very early and very, you know, quickly and, and honestly and abruptly and you say, well, you know, this is not going to fit. But sometimes when you just get into the minutia of uh, laying things out in the design and sort of what's appropriate, um, that's a conversation that just gets a lot deeper and it starts to sort of sink in and they get that level of understanding. You know, like one of the hardest ones, obviously, is, uh, you know, when they when we're just looking at uh, sort of initial space planning um, and what's going to fit versus the style of architecture that uh, that the home is going to be, right? Because as designers, as we're laying it out, we're always kind of, we're always kind of thinking about it in 3D and uh, certain styles are going to demand certain you know, types of layouts or more open space or room for articulation, you know, balconies, porches, things like that. But, you know, the client's sort of looking to maybe maximize certain space or just have, you know, bigger rooms or something. It's, it, sometimes it's harder to push back on that because you're sort of fighting for something you haven't drawn yet. You know? <laughs> yeah, and, and, I think, and, I think, yeah. and I think, too, it's, um, you know, sometimes it's hard. O'Neill Ford said uh, architecture is scale and proportion the rest is decor and sometimes yeah, and sometimes right. it's challenging to get clients to be able to flip that switch yeah and what we like to do with our process is uh we try to go right into these photorealistic renderings as soon as we can you know mm. as, as part of our schematic design phases because i that takes all the imagination away from the client you know you don't just giving them sort of hand sketches or black and white, you know, CAD drawings or elevations, things like that. We try to avoid that because we want to show them, uh, you know, our vision in sort of the best light. And these these renderings really help with that because then they can actually see it in perspective. They can see it with the color palette that we're talking about, even, you know, the sort of lighting and things that are going to be all a part of the uh, finished product. And then I, that's usually kind of when the, when the light bulb goes off too, right? When they can say, oh my gosh, you know, that's because they maybe have been looking at their floor plans, trying to figure out, you know, what their dining room window is going to look like or whatever. But <laughs> Well, it's, it's, they... it's really interesting too. I mean, talk about having an amazing tool at your disposal, something that you weren't able to do before. I'm, I'm trying to in, envision the difference between looking at a schematic or a CAD drawing and, and looking at a, a VR simulation. How does, how does that, yes. how, how do you introduce that? Yeah, and that yeah, and that's been uh, a really great thing for us too. We just started doing the VR. Uh, I guess it's already been about four years. Um, it's been a real game changer for us because that's the only medium we use which can actually give our clients a sense of the size and scale of these homes. You know, every if you think about it, everything we show people is a two-dimensional representation of a 3D object, right? Like yeah. whether it's a you know, just a CAD drawing or a or rendering or, or what have you. Um, so it's always hard to sort of, you know, engage with the space or some things might look really skewed. So the VR, it's really great for the interior of these homes because they put the headset on and, you know, all of a sudden they sort of, they can feel how tall the ceilings are or, you know, how much space there is between the back of the couch and the television, you know, <laughs> all these, all these things are important. Um, but it's just been until, you know, 
into this uh, VR stuff and the and the ability to render it out in something that's realistic looking too, right? Because that's important. You have to kind of design something and put something in there with a certain level of detail and and scale and you know lighting and materiality and all this kind of stuff so that it actually gives them that illusion and sort of takes them takes them inside the virtual home. One of the things that I've I've sort of toyed with for a long time now. When I started doing this, I, I used to I'm not afraid of stupid questions. I, I generally run head on into them because that's kind of how you how I feel like I get to to better questions, right? Um oh, yeah. but uh-huh. when I when I started doing this, I would ask designers and architects, so do you have a signature style or what is your signature style? And that's a it's not that's not a necessarily a stupid question. It's just a pedestrian question, right? <laughs> Um, And then I started to realize that architects and designers, accomplished ones, don't necessarily have a style per se because part of the art is being able to fit what they do into any any structure style or any, you know, using any fabric or any color. But what Mm -hmm. what I noticed is that you will develop a fingerprint. You know, you can right. look. You can look at the projects, and and the projects have a distinct fingerprint, regardless of what what style they may be. And and I sort of wanted to dive into some of your work because one mm-hmm. of the one of the things I noticed about your projects, and whether they're they're going from the you know that that mod Cape Cod to a to a traditional inspired <laughs> or a modern, you have some very uh-huh. unique fingerprints. Your your use of big glass, for example. Right. I mean, you, obviously, yeah. you're you're a big fan of light and glass. Yes, hundred percent. Have you have you always tried to incorporate that into the design? Because clearly, you know, you say you know you want the clients to have have their input, but I'm noticing something that is that is very um, it's very consistent in a lot of your work, which I think is remarkable because you there's an art form. To be able to being able to use so much glass, right? Yeah, no, that's that's great. You say that, and I'm, uh, I appreciate that you're kind of picking up on that uh, just by looking at our portfolio. Because you're right, you know, I don't, I would never say that we have like a distinct style or a certain, you know, I don't know, a catchphrase, I guess, if you will, uh, in the in the work that we do. But there is a a, a common thread that kind of runs through things, right? So we do kind of approach our traditional homes and our modern homes with the same set of sort of core principles, right? I like to talk about, uh, you know, when I get really esoteric, I guess, with my design team is uh, sort of the essence or the story of each project. Um, And like I said before, that that story is kind of written by the client and the site and all those sort of architecture 101 uh, components. But, um, you know, Getting a lot of light into these homes is uh, is paramount for us. It's something that we'll consistently do, um, size and scale and proportion. Like I'm a big fan of tall ceilings, um, open modern floor plans, you know, casual sort of living components, a lot of indoor-outdoor flow. Um, these are things that you'll see as a consistent sort of common theme or common thread throughout our work. And, uh, you know, I enjoy doing both. I feel like... Sometimes the modern is uh, is really fun because you sort of start with a more of a blank slate. Um, but uh, getting into the, the traditional or the transitional stuff, you're sort of given 
a toolbox, right? As soon as you decide to do a certain style, it's like to go back to your artist analogy, right? You're someone's just kind of giving you a, uh, a box full of the right kind of, you know, pencils and crayons and all that kind of stuff. You can only do certain things, but you still have a ton of creativity in how all those components come together. So I enjoy, you know, that part of the challenge just as much as I do the sort of blank page, uh, you know, I, I guess uh, sort of big concept uh, coming up with whatever you want. Well, so let's let's talk about that for a minute. So let's. I, I wanted to talk about some of the projects in particular. And as you're talking, mm-hmm. I'm hearing you talk about toolbox and using what you have, right? And using what's provided in addition to all of the other things that we've already talked about. And I wanted to start with one of my favorite projects of yours. And uh, it's you call you call it Vale. It's in Vale, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. here's what's interesting. You're 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 backed up to the Rockies. You're mm-hmm. in, you're in the forest, and you've got an extremely modern structure. But what's really interesting is you've got you've got three walled glass rooms that obviously you can see through. So you you've you've really made the most of the vi- vistas and views. You've got right. you've got tall ceilings so you can take in the grandeur of it. You've got um, a modern structure, but you the way that the lines work, they almost mimic and replicate both the mountains and the trees. And I, when you when you first ideated this this project, how did you approach it? Yeah, um, I love that you picked that project out of our portfolio. It's actually one of my favorites as well. Um, for many reasons, really. I mean, it was one of the first projects that we did outside of our area, uh, our little sphere of influence here in Orange County. Um, and, and it's uh, it's also a, a repeat client and, and customer that I just I uh, love and adore. We've become good friends. She's actually an interior designer who's worked on some of our projects uh, as well for other clients. And uh, it's, it was their second home uh, out in Vail. And I actually have family out there too. So I knew the, the valley and the area really well. My sister lives out there. And uh, it was just kind of a natural fit for us to sort of take our first, you know, uh, shot at something outside of, outside of the area in the mountains. I, I grew up in northeastern Oregon, so I kind of I definitely have that love for uh, love for nature, the appreciation for all the beauty out there. And this lot that they found was really dreamy because it was seven acres. It was a lot of land, um, but most of it was uh, preserved and it was a, uh, it was a hillside, but the, the footprint of where the house could go is actually fairly limited. And we had kind of a difficult, uh, road to make, um, you know, vehicular access with that was sort of something that was kind of limited too. But the, knowing this client, she loves uh, modern architecture. She hates sloping roofs. Um, you know, one of the reasons why she came to me and started talking to me about it is that, uh, she, she kind of, it's this modern mountain design that's <laughs> been been prevalent, or at least was, you know, six or seven years ago. Um, and she said, "I just want something uh, kind of like the house you did in California for me. It's you know, flat roofs, modern, a lot of glass." And uh, I said, "Yeah, I think we sh- I think we should do it." And then everyone tried to tell us why we shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> then you know you're on the right track. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah, we got a uh, we got a ton of resistance about not having you know oh you know it snows there right yeah but you can't it's hard to have uh, flat roofs with snow, um, 
so yeah, it was kind of interesting. We built a good team. We got a good uh, local engineer up there, and I consulted with a lot of guys um, who had built in the mountains, and some of them actually said that you know doing a flat roof is uh, it can actually be preferred in many ways because you're containing the snow. You're not having to worry about it, you know, sliding off or you know melting, turning ice icicles, all this kind of stuff. So you can actually sort of it's all waterproofed well you can contain it and you can kind of melt it and keep it where it needs to needs to be um so yeah and to go back to your question about the inspiration for the you know formal language and everything based on the site it was such a steep hillside that uh and it's actually a duplex i don't know if that's readily apparent it's but, not uh, part, that's really interesting yeah so part of their program was that they wanted to build a duplex and sell the other half when the project was done to help pay for the construction costs. Oh, wow. And, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so in, you know, in Vail, you can have, uh, you can sort of turn it into a condo, right? You have a demising wall and then you can sell off one half. They still call it a duplex for some reason. But hmm. um, so having uh, having the right kind of separation, deciding who, you know, which, owner is going to have which views up the valley and you know where where my clients needed to be I, I felt like for them to to gain views sort of up and down the valley but also to have the privacy and that seven acres kind of up the slope as you know just for them that, that, that was kind of important to me so it sort of you know the lot just sort of really started to speak to me as to like where each side of the house should face. And then the topography was so steep that the footprint really needed to stay kind of narrow. So I knew we were going to be going fairly tall. And I think our building envelope there was, was pretty good. I think we were able to go up to about 35 feet. So uh, I felt good about the ceiling heights of floor plates. I was going to get there too. But her um, early on, I talked to her about this concept of like, hey, what if your master suite is only on this third level we can kind of elevate you and make sure that you're going to get views out over this meadow and and up into the tree line in order to do that we're going to have to go up pretty high so you're not just you know staring dead into the side of the hill <laughs> uh and she loved that i i even i think i threw out the idea i called it levitating cubes or something in the first like rough sketches that i did um for them when we were visiting the site and i was just trying to get some kind of uh, movement and rotation to some of those spaces too. But having her, having her master suite out there with just all glass around it and then cantilevered over the outdoor living spaces down below was just sort of a fun, um, I guess, inception point that I wanted to sort of hold, hold strong against. Well, and it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting choice that you made too because the you cantilevered it over the space down below which has the hot tub and the outdoor fireplace so it creates a a natural barrier what's interesting what's interesting to me too is you do have a modern a modern structure with the flat roof you know you you have that that sort of that that box but then you've also got you've also got visible um you've got visible structures that are on angles which really gives you the idea of that that mountainy a-frame which mimics yes. which which mimics the tree yep. line as well yeah and i love that that kind of came about uh working with directly with the structural engineer um 
and having that cantilever actually work because you know the the slow the snow loads are intense you know you can't make light of them because uh it's way different than we deal with out in california it adds a significant amount of weight (laughs) to the structures um which if you did have a sloping roof you wouldn't have to account for as much but um I really fought for that cantilever and we had to do kind of some early on investigative work with the structural engineer because the client was, you know, concerned about the budget, like all clients are from the get go. And, uh, although he loved the idea, he was saying, well, you know, all this, these huge trusses and all this steel and stuff that's going to go into the house. What's going to, what if we just decide to put a column or two out there? (laughs) So I was like, no, no, we're we're never going to do that. Um, (laughs) But he, he took it far enough, and we actually had the builder on board early, which was great. And uh, I think the engineer actually drew a couple different things, sent it to the contractor, and they did their thing. And I think it came back as like a thirty or $35,000 upgrade to do that with no columns. So luckily, it was uh, it was kind of a no-brainer, and uh, we, we sort of stayed the course after that. But um when the final design for the trusses was there, um, you know, basically that whole bedroom, the, the two sides of the bedroom, there's a you know the top cord and the bottom cord of that truss are basically in the floor and the ceiling. And so you see the, uh, the diagonal beams inside the bedroom. Um, it was really, uh, I was really pleased with that. We, we found an engineer that was working in, uh, I think he was using SketchUp or something. So he was in a 3d medium like we were. So when we, the first time we kind of melded his, uh, design with our architecture it was really kind of fun i almost got like uh you know goosebumps looking at it <laughs> i get it i get it i love that i now i want to move yeah. i want to move to a, a local project um and it's mm-hmm. it's camden in newport beach sure I, again you've got a very unique footprint here you've got a very unique structure you've got a lot of glass you've got a really interesting angle, the, the, the approach to angles on this house. And you've, you've also got, I mean, it's just things like, you know, the, you made sure to have a view, an extraordinary view through the entry that aligns the pool up with the Newport beach Harbor entrance and the sunset. You, you really put a lot of time and thought into not just the structure itself, but the positioning and the use of space on this. Yeah, we did. Uh, again, another one of my favorites. So I feel like you're you're picking some really good ones here for me <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> so thank you for that. Uh, yeah, and that was honestly that was one of the earlier modern homes that we did. Um, and so that client was actually a developer, Spinnaker Development. Um, so we were sort of given uh, carte blanche in many ways to develop the program and the style and the look of that home, uh, which was great. And we knew we had an incredible piece of property based on the, uh, on the views. Um, and be- it was before we had some of our uh, drone technology now where we can kind of get a 3D map of everything that's existing. But I think, I want to say we went out to that site probably like four or five times just to double check our angles that we had chosen um, in, in relationship to the view. Because yeah, it was important for us to place the entry in a location that would uh, pick up looking across the pool out towards Catalina, the harbor entrance and sort of was sort of like the best uh, view angle with some of the neighboring roof lines that were in the community as well. Um, and then that, that actually 
helped us define sort of like the public and the private sides of the home as well. So on the, call it, I guess if you were walking the front door, the left-hand side was sort of like where the great room and the kitchen, the dining, butler's pantry, all that sort of entertaining space was. And on the right-hand side was the master suite uh, out towards the view. And we had all this beautiful sort of negative space in the middle with the courtyard. Um, and there were a lot of fun angles going on there. The Part of the... Uh, inception there was to have the pool integrated in with the structure of the home too so we knew that in the basement we were going to have spaces that crawled underneath the pool that was a little bit to do with uh function but also a lot to do with form too and just wanting to express the structure of that pool and how it was going to be sort of cradled within the uh the architecture of the home but we knew we needed to get from the garage uh over to the kitchen from the lower level just so we didn't have this crazy kind of circuitous path in the in the footprint of the basement um so that was kind of fun i think sometimes just the most mundane sort of uh functional thoughts about a a home or a design can really inspire you to do some you know crazy radical okay so let's uh, design responses right (laughs) let's let's talk about some crazy and radical design responses um tell, tell me about the skylight exactly yeah so that uh, knowing that we were going to want to circulate kind of underneath the pool, um, we felt like we wanted to bring light into these downstairs areas and actually kind of even more than just expressing the structure of the pool, but actually having a window or a skylight in the bottom of the pool, which would uh, really make it completely obvious that we were underneath the pool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it had, uh, it had some sex appeal too, which, you know, as you design spec homes for a certain, you know, clientele or a certain level, uh, you know, of uh, sale price, you always want to kind of have a little, little edge to it, you know, a little sex appeal never hurts. Um, and yeah, that was just a, a really fun component. We ended up putting it over the uh, lounge. There was a wine room right next to it and kind of a bar. So it's sort of like the heart of the entertaining sort of fun, um, spaces in the basement down there and our original concept actually had the pool itself the leading edge of the of the pool sort of jutting out towards catalina was all exposed it was kind of like a cantilevered you know three sides of the pool were going to be cantilevered uh but you know i'll admit that we uh we ran into some resistance with the city and the zoning department on that (laughs) (laughs) when we uh you know when we went in for permits they they said well you know, technically, you're actually dealing with a front yard here, even though all the homes in this area, they're the, kind of like the backyards because that's where the view is. Um, so there were rules about not doing things like that in your front yard. But, <laughs> you know, I think it all ended up uh, working out pretty well in the end. It did, there, I think. There were some. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say there were some fun, uh, I guess, hidden sort of. Uh, influences or factors on that home as well that I, I like to point out to people when we're when we're actually there but uh, the angled roof that you see like over the great room and then it kind of undulates over the entryway and out towards the pool as well um, it kind of came about again none of these mundane things but in there in that uh, neighborhood there the homeowners association has a rule that if uh, if a roof is flat it can't be more than 11 and a half feet tall but if it's sloped a minimum two and 12, it can be up to 14 feet tall. So Uh, again, working, you know, with a modern design, but wanting to maximize volume, we kind of came up with these undulating roofs. And 
Uh, I'll never forget when I uh, presented it to our client, the developer, the first time we showed him that uh, roof over the great room. He said, oh, wow, this, it kind of looks like a giant mustache. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can see that. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to him about like how it you know, creates more rigid frame and we can cantilever off this fireplace and have all this great glass and this outdoor open space. And, you know, he just says, oh, it looks like a mustache. But <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, he's a developer. Come on. What do you expect? Uh-huh. I know. Yeah, um, it was great. So you know what else? We nicknamed it the mustache roof. I, I love that. It is. I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, but but I just gosh, that skylight into the bottom of the pool is so sexy. It is so cool. Um, yeah. I, I absolutely love that. But here's what I also noticed about that project, and I'm not going to spend forever on it. But it's just the last thing is, this is not like the, your other project in Vale, where you had seven acres to work with. This is right. a, this is a highly dense populated community and for you to take this particular it's an irregularly shaped lot and mm-hmm. you've got you know you've got topographical issues that you have to deal with but to to make it as private as you did to take advantage of the angles um for the views like you did and to be able to put in all of these different spaces with all of these different functions i just think is is it's so fun. It's so incredibly creative. I absolutely love it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. It was uh, it was a great piece of property. A lot of people thought um, that it was a double lot, but it wasn't. It was just a slightly bigger one on the corner. And um, what a lot of what a lot of homes in that neighborhood don't have is really private outdoor entertaining space. You know, yeah. because a lot of them are you know they're narrower, and you sort of have like this very minimal front yard um, where nobody really wants to hang out because it's it's kind of like stadium seating, right? Like every house is a little bit higher than you and they're all looking over all the successive homes for the view of the ocean. Um, so the front of the homes end up being very opaque. You don't want to have a lot of a lot of glass or, or entertaining spaces on the front. And the back is where the view is and all the action, but you're usually just limited to, you know, maybe a 10 or 12 foot strip of, uh, you know, balcony or bluff top out there because you you also don't want to set your home back so far that you lose the views on the sides. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this one was just really fun and unique. That was big enough for us to sort of embrace all the perimeters and create this, this nice, you know, open negative space right in the middle that, uh, that could be private and work for entertaining and to have kind of a, uh, I guess a duality or a two-sidedness to the, to that great room was really kind of fun to have the ability to open both sides of it on a lot where usually everything is sort of like one directional, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I, yeah. I want to, I want to talk about an absolute masterpiece in, in the strand hotel. But before I do, I just, <laughs> sure. I wanted, I wanted to get to something else first, just a, just a quick note. Um, and that's your project. It's Balboa one. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to log on to my website here just to make sure it's we're an, talking about the same one. <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's an easy one to recognize because of that round window that, that, overlooks, that overlooks the harbor. Oh, yes, yeah. So, right, so you've, got a, mm-hmm. you've, you've got a very traditional footprint, which fits into a very traditional neighborhood, um, very Eastern in its, in its appearance, but yet you've, you managed to find a way 
to a sp- from outside in it's it's definitely noticeable but when you see it from inside out it's just it's so dramatic this is not yeah. a, this is not a large footprint this is not right you know what i mean it's not an extraordinary thing but you did something extraordinary that really made a huge difference here that's great. I love. The, I honestly love the projects that you're picking out because they're all my favorite. And I feel like that one in particular, we ended up nicknaming that one the the Oculus Window, right? For obvious reasons. Although some some even wanted to call it the Hobbit Door. <laughs> okay. um, <laughs> the uh, I feel like it wasn't celebrated as much as it should have been. Honestly, uh, it was one of those things where it, you're right. It was a constrained site. It was very challenging, and it had some some difficult angles that were kind of coming in. It was a bigger lot, but it's sort of uh, a triangular shaped and sort of like the narrow point of the triangle. Triangle was the side where the ocean was, right? Right. Where all the great views were. And so the master suite obviously needed to be there on kind of the primary view. Um, and we were maximizing things along the uh, envelope of the side yards. Um, but as it sort of came to that point, we were resolving a lot of different angles and working with that style, things have to be very, you know, sort of regimented and make sense. Um, but, you know, I also wanted to make something, um, more of a dramatic statement with the overall sort of architecture as well. And, and one of my favorite architects is Robert Stern. I think he's one of the early pioneers or one of the the masters of of transitional design, really. You know, I mean, he he worked in such a, uh, you know, strict sort of Cape Cod uh, vernacular, but all of his homes were different. And if you look at them, a lot of them have these sort of sometimes more bold or geometric sort of, uh, you know, aspects to them and definitely transitional elements. Um, So, you know, looking at that as kind of some inspiration here and then also just wanting to sort of fight for a crowded um, space down there on the, on the harbor. If you've ever looked at these homes from a Duffy boat or paddleboard or anything in the harbor, you look back, there's not a lot of remarkable homes. Like it's sort of every, everyone's just fighting for their little, you know, sliver of the, of the view or the water. Right. Um, but there's just not a lot of room for, sort of architecture there's you see even like some of the newer homes you see they're just big glass walls facing the water or something there's not a ton of personality not a lot that sort of jumps out at you and the you know the zoning code's got everybody regulated there they're all kind of the same height the same width um so i really wanted to take a chance and and you know give this house a uh you know a chance to sort of catch catch your eye or, or make a little bit more of a statement i remember I told the client I wanted uh, people who go by on their paddleboards to maybe fall over or to at least stop and, you know. <laughs> sure. Mission <laughs> and, uh, accomplished, yeah. And admire it and say, like, huh, that's, you know, that's really cool. So Yeah, no, and yeah. I listen, I absolutely love that. And I, and I think that that's, it's interesting because as I'm looking at all these projects, and by the way, I would encourage anyone who who's listening who wants to go through them with us, go to brandonarchitects.com and, and they can go along through the this journey with us. The last one I wanted to talk about, and um, I appreciate the the time, and I just, not to, mm-hmm. th- there's no way to do a full case study of, of this particular project, but I mean, holy cow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Grand Hotel. Yeah, yeah, but but there's so much to it um, from, not even from a super luxe side of it, but just from an architectural side of it, the 
the site itself, the location, the view, the manner in which the the project was situated so that you can take advantage of every square inch of, of view and water mm-hmm. and space and breeze. Um, what, did you, what did you think when you first started working on this project? Um, I was honestly really excited to work on that project. I mean, I felt kind of, uh, I had to sort of pinch myself yeah. to realize that we had, you know, kind of won the commission or gotten a chance to do it at all. Um, you know, for being a, a relatively young firm with a small team, um, it was definitely one of the bigger sort of moments of us to, to, to jump on, you know, and I, and I, I'll never forget that time. I think, uh, at one point I had every single person in the office working on it for about 30 days straight. So <laughs> I'm sure we, it, it was a really fun thing just for us internally to go through and to just have such a great collaboration and a, and a kind of a crazy pace of, uh, working on something so, so big and, uh, and exciting. But, um, yeah, in many ways, you know, I think one of the reasons why we won the commission um, is that we looked at it as a large custom home, really. I mean, it's a two-and-a-half-acre site, but it's a very boutique hotel. The the um, entitlements that were given to the site were already approved uh, as a part of the larger strand development, um, which was done there for all the all the home sites as well. So we were limited to 90, 90 rooms or 90 keys. And uh, I think 110,000 square feet of enclosed space. So those are sort of the parameters. So we had two and a half acres to work with. And we knew that, you know, no matter what, we needed to get each room a great view because it's, it's such an incredible location. You've got views of Dana Point Harbor and then just looking straight out to the Pacific. Um, so that, uh, well, a lot of that um, formal language, things that came out of there, was just really thinking about people coming to this hotel and what their views are going to be. And then also what we're going to, the amenities that we're going to kind of look across. Right. So like rather than just putting all the rooms around the perimeter and trying to you know, disguise the road or overlook the road, we really tried to shove as much of these rooms back so that we could uh, curate the foreground and, you know, better sort of cast uh, the, those incredible views to sort of give them a much better um, foreground or sort of, you know, backdrop to the, to the rooms. Um, so that was, that was kind of fun, but yeah, just working on a program that large, having to think about, uh, so many different things that we'd never done before, you know, from how to get laundry and service to the rooms, (laughs) you know, restaurant, spa, all those kind of, all those kind of things. But we, you know, we kind of followed our, our process the same way we do with our homes. We try to find a couple, um, strong, um, you know, points to, to start the storytelling and, and anchor, you know, the overall design and a lot of, you know, a couple of really great key concepts, one of which um, obviously centered around the water there um, for that uh, for that design. And also uh, we wanted to be uh, environmentally uh, sensitive. We wanted to really speak to the socially responsible building that could be done with the hotel on that site, knowing that it was sort of a, a piece of, you know, naked land that was set aside for this for this hotel. We wanted to be respectful of that, um, and uh, and all the thought that went into it, you know, with the coastal commission and also the city, you know. So part of that was uh, with the design of the stone and a lot of the green roofs, solar panels, uh, gray water treatment, reuse, all this kind of stuff are things that we're planning on doing there, um, you know. And then just uh, trying to find kind of a uh, 
a there there, I guess, for uh, for Dana Point. You know, I would I would hope that this project would help um, sort of say the right kind of things to a broader um, community, not just California or nationally, but even worldwide. Really, I mean, this a hotel of this sort of magnitude or um, um, panache, I guess, for lack of a better word, you know, um, that I would hope that uh, the people of Dana Point um, would be would be proud of it and it would speak the, the right kind of things that they would want an international community to uh, to hear. Well, I, yeah, and I think that's what it, what it goes towards is, is the fact that you built an identity piece. You know, you you build, right. you build yeah. something that when people think of a of a city, a location, a destination, that there's anytime you can inextricably tie a piece of architecture to that, right. you know that you've done something special. And I and I think that this is definitely something special. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. Love it. Yeah. Um, Chris, this was a great journey. Uh, I really enjoyed yeah. this and I, I appreciate the time that we spent together you know it's funny too because with, with as a young firm i mean still you're a young firm what 11 years 12 years yeah yeah 11 years i know it's kind of crazy it's going by fast but <laughs> yeah um yeah. the with everything that you've done it, it do you have a i hate to, it's so trite i hate to even call it this but do you have do you have a bucket list is there a project or or a style or a location or something that that you have on that list like this is something i would i would always love to do <laughs> that's a good one that, that's uh that's kind of a loaded question too right oh yeah <laughs> yeah um i don't know to be honest with you i i really enjoyed our um sort of far-flung projects i i you know, it kind of goes back to the way that I love that every every day is different, right? Uh, all my clients are different. All my projects are different. But I, I really enjoy getting to know different parts of the country, different uh, locales, different different sites. Um, and that's been a lot of fun. You know, we've got a project in New Hampshire uh, on Lake Winnipesaukee, which has just been a real joy to work on. You know, wonderful clients, but also just such a fun little community out there you know, to kind of dive into the history, the, the, you know, the kind of the micro context and also the macro um, concept around there in the East coast has been a, been a lot of fun. Cause obviously a lot of our uh, inspiration and our, and our styles come from that, uh, that center of the world over there. So it's been, uh, it's been fun. I just, I, you know, I just love the new challenges. I don't know what, uh, you know, where things are going to kind of take us, but I'll be, I'll be excited about anything that's new and different, I guess. <laughs> Love it. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take yeah. that. All right. Uh, Chris, <laughs> thanks for the time. This was great. I really enjoyed it. You got it. Likewise, Josh. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. That was amazing. Thank you for making the time. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for being an absolute joy to work with. Your partnership is greatly appreciated. Thank you, Thermosol, for your support of Convo by Design. And thank you for listening to the show, subscribing to the podcast, and coming out to all our events virtually and hopefully soon back in reality. If not already, ask Alexa or Siri to subscribe to Convo by Design. Just say, hey, Alexa, subscribe to Convo by Design podcast. And she will. It's amazing. Super fun. Thanks for listening. And until next week, keep creating.